Well, welcome to February, my least favorite month of the year. Uh, as we were singing, I was just thinking, man, my introduction today is just total February. I, it's so boring. <laughs> it's cold. Uh, in fe- yeah, just talking to people before the service, and I just, and even in myself, it's like, yeah, I really would rather not be here. It's kind of snowing outside. So I'm going to ditch my intro. Sorry, this is really random, isn't it? I'm going to ditch my intro because I was, t- was going to tell a story from church history, and that's just such a February thing to do. <laughs> so we're just going to jump straight into Nehemiah. And uh, yeah, this is, this is not a, worship is not a performance, and so sometimes we, we say Ezekiel when we, when we mean Nehemiah, and sometimes people raise their hands, and, 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 and all of this is meant to be reorientation, our hearts back to God. Remember who we are, who God is. Church is not a performance. I prepare, and I, I hope that you prepare throughout the week for, for your work, for your job, but uh, it's not a performance. So let's just jump into Nehemiah by reviewing where we've been. So far in this story, we saw in chapter one, Nehemiah was absolutely broken over the news that he heard about God's people. They'd moved back to Jerusalem, but basically their lives were still in ruin. And the, the wall kind of represented that. The wall was broken down. The wall was in ruin. And Nehemiah chapter one Nehemiah just responds to this brokenness by being broken and uh, offering up a prayer to God, saying, God, I, I believe if we turn back to you that you will be gracious to us. And in chapter 2, we see God answer that prayer. Uh, God moved in the heart of the king to say, everything you need, Nehemiah, I give it to you. Go, you can have a leave of absence from your job in my palace and uh, go lead your people to restore this wall. And then Nehemiah comes back and the people say, yes, we will rebuild this wall. We believe that God is, is doing something here. In chapter three, uh, they start doing it. Um, they, they, they all have a part to play in what God is doing uh, in their community. And, uh, and we saw that, you know, that's the way that the church functions today. We all have a part to play. We all have a part to play. It's, we're called to do gospel ministry, side-by-side laboring. Uh, Your arms aren't literally linked, but spiritually, emotionally, relationally, we link our arms together uh, and we we follow the call of Christ together. And then last week was chapter four, and we saw that opposition came to this building work, this this work that God called Nehemiah and God called all these people to, and and there was this opposition. Uh, They were opposed and they had to overcome opposition by placing hope in their leader. So that brings us to today, uh, chapter 5. And what I want to do, here, here's just an overview of what we're going to do today. Um, kind of a, a, a to-do list of four things. I just want you to hear chapter 5. Just hear the word of God. I want you to see the point of the story. And I'm just going to draw that point out real quickly. So after we get done reading, pay attention because I'm not going to spend much time explaining the point. I'm going to spend a lot of time applying the point. Uh, that's the third thing we're going to do is applying chapter five. And then I want us to look at what, what's going to stop you? What's going to prevent you from actually doing what you know you need to do? 
and me doing what I know I need to do. We together restoring brokenness together. So let's jump in. Nehemiah chapter 5. Feel free to follow along on the screen or in your Bible. About this time, some of the men and their wives, they raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we've mortgaged our fields, our vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. Others said, we've had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs, yet we have to sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We've already sold some of our daughters, and we're helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and our vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles, these nobles and officials. I told them, you're hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we're doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you're selling them back into slavery again to, 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 to your own brothers and sisters in the faith. How, how, how often must we redeem them? Nehemiah asked, and they had nothing to say in their defense. So I pressed further. What, are you, what you're doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by our enemies, our in, the enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, we've been lending people money and grain, but now let's stop, do, let's stop this business of charging interest on our loans. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day and repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. And they replied, we will give back everything and will demand nothing from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe and said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. The whole assembly responded, amen, and they praised the Lord, and the people did as they promised. For the 12 years that I was governor in Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the the, uh, reign of King Artaxerxes, Neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine. Besides 40 pieces of silver, even their assistants took advantage of the people, but because I feared God, I did not act this way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors I had from other lands. The provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry, and every 10 days we needed a bunch of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. Remember me, oh my God, for good according to all that I've done for this people. All right, congratulations. Task number one on our to-do list is complete. You, you, you read it. But I want you to see the point of this passage is really, really clear. 
And it's, it's clear from both parts. I think there's part one, which is verses one through 13, where, where these nobles and officials, they take advantage of the plight of the people. Uh, the, these people, they didn't have enough money. And so uh, the, the nobles and officials, you know, said, well, if you mortgage your fields, vineyards, and homes, like basically give us the assets that you do have and we'll give you money for food. Um, and it is like payday loan scheme. I mean, they just are, they're taking advantage of those who are in need. They're taking advantage of those in their own community who are in need. And Nehemiah called them out and straightened them out. And, and the contrast of those leaders with the leadership of Nehemiah just could not be more stark. Because here's Nehemiah, the governor, who, unlike all the other governors before him, he didn't take uh, what the governor could have taken rightfully. And, and all the other governors took more than what they were owed as governor. They, they oppressed the people. Nehemiah, instead, he, he self-sacrificed. So we have this contrast of selfish leadership and self-sacrificing leadership. Selfish living and self-sacrificing living. And, 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 and this wasn't just Nehemiah, but you, you kind of get the picture of it's his whole gang. Like he's like, my servants, they were working on the wall. Like my servants, they're with me. Um, and, and so there, there's this great contrast. Uh, Nehemiah, we see in the first part, he, he also lent out to those in need, but he didn't exact this ursery, which is like a really high interest rate. You know, he, he didn't take advantage of the people. He was, he was freely giving. And so I, I'm done with, uh, part two of our message now too. This is, this is the point of the passage. Selfishness, and you, if you don't get anything else from today, just get this, these two sentences, please. Selfishness is a universally failed method for happiness. Sacrifice is the Christ-proven method for joy. So we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking this truth. That when we try to do things our way, when we try to get what we want the way that we want it, we are destined for unhappiness. We're destined for disappointment. But when we follow the way of our leader being Christ, when we follow his way of self-sacrifice, we find joy. So just think about it. Practically, who do you want to work with? Who do you want to live with? Who do you want, who do you want to be friends with? People who are all caught up on themselves, <laughs> always talking about themselves, or people who are interested in your best interests, in the best interests of the people around them. I mean, it's, it's, this is immensely practical stuff. And this isn't, you know, be selfless, be sacrificial so that, you know, when, when it comes back around, you can get what you want. <laughs> um, this is be so convinced of what's true that you really do want to give your life away for it, even if the favor is never returned. And so it's, you might think, okay, uh, yeah, I, c I can look out at the world and I can see all the selfishness that's out there. I can see the business owner that makes a lot of money and he's just selfish. I, 
I mean, maybe, but the application of God's word, it always starts with us, between, between us and God, and then it's fleshed out in community. So, for example, the business owner can make a lot of money and still be sacrificial. He can, he can aspire to greater market share because that means more people are served by his product. And because the money that he does make is a stewardship with which he can bless more people. This, this, what I'm talking about, what we're talking about, this is a heart attitude. So it's the same way with sacrifice. Say someone kind of, you know, take, they take a job, a pay cut, right? Because they believe that uh, this is what God wants them to do and they're sacrificing, right? They're sacrificing uh, their future and, and the, the, the known possibilities of their income stream in the future because, because this is a noble job that, that they believe God wants them to do. But if you start sacrificing and then it's like, uh, and in your heart you're like, but I got to get what's coming to me. I made this noble s- sacrifice and, and, and so now it's time for, for me to be rewarded for it. Uh, if you're kind of complaining about your sacrifice, what is that? <laughs> That's selfishness, Okay. So, so I just want you to see how what can appear to be selfish is not maybe necessarily that, but what can also appear to be sacrificial can also be selfishness. This is a matter of the heart. And God is, God is the judge of our hearts. So, uh, so I just, yeah, just want to warn you to apply this to yourself and, and don't, don't be quick or don't, don't first look out and say, He's wrong, she's wrong, they're wrong. First, first, first look at your own heart. And so you might hear me at this point saying, don't be selfish, be self-sacrificing. Don't be like the leaders who took advantage of the people, but be like Nehemiah. And you'd be close, but we're not done yet. So almost not quite. Because if I, if I just told you that, be, be self-sacrificing, and you got up, we sang a few more songs, and then you got up and walked out of here, you know what would happen? I'd be setting you up for failure <laughs> because I'd just be giving you a moralistic teaching. Here's what you ought to do. Now let's go do it. And uh, the Bible's clear that our nature is not benevolent. Our nature is not good. Our nature, by nature, our sin nature, we are not self-sacrificing. We, we don't have what it takes to hear, here's what's good, and then just go do it. There, there's this sin nature original sin that's a part of all of us. And here's a very practical example. It's not my boring illustration from the start. (laughs) FDR, President of the United States from 1933 to 1945, which was right before and during World War II, when he first learned about the uh, Jewish oppression, the Nazis and what they were doing to the Jews, he was very, very slow to believe it. How could a civilization that's so educated do something so terrible. And it was because of an assumption. And he, FDR admitted this. He said, I, was, I, I didn't really believe in original sin. I didn't really believe that people were capable of that type of atrocity. And so, so when you hear, you know, like what's good, being, being self-sacrificing, be, giving your life away, uh, we have to, we have to wrestle with and do business with the fact that, okay, that is good, 
But on my own, am I capable of that? On my own, apart from Christ, can I do that? So according to God, let's go back to the story, Nehemiah 5. According to God, who are we, all of us, the pastor, who am I in this story apart from Christ? We're all like the selfish nobles and officials. That's what the Bible says. None are righteous before God. But here's the good news. A great leader has come to us, Jesus, and confronted us with our sin and chosen to take that on himself. Should we just say no more of that, we have to quit that way of living and learn a new way under our new leader. And so maybe today you need to do that for the first time. You need to say, I need to quit being the leader of my life and I need to entrust my life to Jesus. He's my leader. He's the one who saves me. He's, he's the one who will forgive me. But maybe you've already done that and you're like, no, I need to keep learning to walk in this new way. I need to keep realizing my tendency is to look out for myself and not to follow the way of Christ. And so the key, the, the key to, to walking out of here and actually growing in being a more sacrificial person is not found in you it's as great as the church is, it's even not found in us. It's only found in us because this is Christ's people. This is Christ's body. This is where Jesus has chosen to come and restore brokenness through community together. So the key is relationship. And we see that even in this text. We see uh, Nehemiah said, why don't you guys fear God when he confronted them? And then he said, but I didn't do like the other governors because I feared God. And we don't like to talk about fearing God. That's, I mean, we, we like to talk about loving God. Um, fear is a very, very healthy thing. Fear is a very, very appropriate thing. And we will all fear something because we all believe something. So, I think fear and belief are tied together. And A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So right belief, believing what's, what we should be afraid of, what we should fear, right belief leads to right action. And if your belief doesn't lead to right action, you need to go back to your belief and say, well, do I really believe that? Because <laughs> biblically speaking, Belief leads to action. So what do you think about God and this relationship with God? He's the one who self-sacrificed for our benefit. That though he deserved to be treated with the treatment of not just the governor, but the highest king, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And Hebrews 12 says that as he endured a terrible death, the highest self-sacrifice on the cross, he did it for the joy set before him. So sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice proves that joy is at the end of a sacrificial life. A sacrificial life lived for Jesus 
is marked by joy. And so that's, that's what we need in order to walk out of here and go through our lives and actually make progress. None of us are perfect. He, he's the sinless sacrifice. None of us are going to live a perfectly sacrificial life. But we can actually make progress because he's not dead anymore. He rose back to life. So let, let, here's our last, our last point on the to-do list today. That's a, bad, that's a bad way of putting it. But here's our last point. What's your hang-up to living sacrificially? And, and be honest. Like, may, maybe it's not one of these things on my list, but be honest. Because God has a way to help you through whatever is, is, is your catch, whatever, whatever's stopping you. And, and, and here's just some that I thought through. Our culture and our sin nature, the, just the world around us says, you have to look after yourself. If you're not looking after yourself, who, who, who is? Who's going to take care of you? And Jesus' answer is, in Matthew 6, says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. Look at the birds in the air. They, they don't worry about having food. They don't store away food in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you so much more valuable to God than they are? And God takes care of the birds. Isn't he going to take care of you? And you could misapply that and say, well, I don't have to work or anything. Well, yes, you do. God commends hard work. But you shouldn't worry about looking after yourself because God looks after you far better than you could look after yourself. Or here's another hang-up. I shouldn't even try to live sacrificially because I've already disqualified myself. Like, there's no way that God could possibly care for me because of all the junk that I have, all the, all the stuff that I've done. I, I'm too far gone. And God's response is, says who? Says who you're too far gone to be forgiven. In fact, we're saved by grace, not by works. So no, everybody's too far gone for yourself to be pulled up by your own bootstraps. But anyone who's still breathing... Think of your, maybe a friend or family member who is just incredibly hardened towards Christianity. Anyone who's still breathing has hope. They have a chance to change. And, and uh, another reason that we might fall short or, or, or stop short of really exerting the effort to live sacrificially is you could say, look, I've done that, Ben. I tried. I was involved in this church once. I got burned out. And uh, I just, I, well, I want to say I'm, I'm sorry. If you've had a bad experience in, in attempting to follow Christ and, and getting burned out. But I'm convinced that no one who runs on grace will ever get burned out. You'll never run out of fuel when you're running on God's grace. Because Matthew 11 says, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. So I just think it's appropriate, a sermon, a, a, a passage that deals with live self-sacrificing lives, that we 
recognize that, yes, we're called to carry up, or to, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We're called to a difficult life, but this is a possible life. It's a possible life. It's very available. Burnout is not the destination for all who would live sacrificially for Christ. You might get tired, but burnout is a place of lost, of lost hope. The only way that we live sacrificially without burning out is looking for rest in Jesus, remembering that he's the one carrying the, the heavy weight. So as you pour yourself out in, in community here, as you pour yourself out at your job and for your family and, and all the other ways that God is, you know, calling you to, to sacrifice your life, just, just remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And this is a verse I learned when I was really little, really, really little. <laughs> and it's a verse I'm, I'm relearning and I'm relearning and I'm relearning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Our own understanding says, look out for yourself. Our own understanding naturally deviates us towards selfishness, brings us to selfish thoughts and selfish actions. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and the Lord will make your path straight. So to conclude, I just want to summarize this whole chapter and kind of bring it back into the book. The, the theme of the book is restoring brokenness together. So what is the brokenness here in chapter 5 that's being restored? It's internal brokenness of selfish, self-centered, sinful hearts. And we all need a new, a new nature to combat that old nature. And then when we get when we, we're, when we get that new nature, when we become Christians, we need to learn how to live according to that new nature. And, and how brokenness is being restored is through the sacrifice of one leader who's training many. He's got many at his table, just like Nehemiah did. He's training many to follow in his ways. Our, our gut reaction as humans to sacrifice is, oh, that's a path to misery. No, it's a path to joy. And we are all going to sacrifice for something or someone. And whatever we do, that's our, that's our highest good. So let's pray. Spend some time to just talk to God about your life. Talk to him about sacrifices you've been making and your attitude towards those sacrifices.
And use this time also to resolve to trust God with your whole life, to live out Proverbs 3, to not lean on your own understanding, and, and think about practical ways that that'll look in the coming days this week. And as you think about this week, uh, think about the next weeks and the next weeks after that. And at the end of your life, make it your, make it your ambition to say with Nehemiah the, the very last verse where he says, Remember me, O God, for good, according to all that I've done for this people. <laughs> and I want you to know what God says, it's in Hebrews 6.10. What God says to all your sacrifice that you gave as a response to his grace, he says, I am not an unjust God. I will not forget your work. I will not forget the love that you've shown me as you have helped my people and continue to help them.